Great afternoon. You are in the fast lane with Sarah Jane. And today in the fast lane with me today, I have a former United States Marine lobbyist, a policy advisor who changed career paths completely and is now a hypnotherapist. So please welcome Norman Plotkin into the fast lane with me today. Welcome, Norman. Thank you so much. Great to be here. So before we go any farther, let's have you define what a hypnotherapist is, because a lot of us are thinking hypnotist, like you are getting very sleepy or watching our friends get hypnotized and acting like a chicken and making us laugh on stage. So tell us what the real deal is here. Well, uh, hypnosis is the underlying condition and it's a trance state and it's as old as people. And a hypnotist is someone who takes someone into hypnosis, usually for entertainment. Uh, Vegas show, or the county fair, Hollywood is, you know, rocked with uh, movies about it. A hypnotherapist uses the power of uh, hypnosis to help people make positive change in their life, to get rid of something they don't like, or to overcome a block, or... Um, to focus the power of their mind and their body to help them heal, to release uh, past traumas and uh, uh, programming in our subconscious mind that no longer serves us. And so the difference is there's a, there's a beneficial, I mean, there's benefit to entertainment, right? It makes people laugh. You eat an onion and think it's an apple or you cluck like a chicken. Uh, it's entertaining, right? But um, I, I'm, you know, I have colleagues who I went to school with and they do that stuff. And that's great. I'm uncomfortable by that. Uh, it, what it does though, it serves a purpose. It shows the power of hypnosis and what the possibilities are when you're in trance. Mm -hmm. So not saying that your previous careers weren't fun, but this one seems like this might be a little more enjoyable um, than what you did previously. So how did you make the switch from what you used to do and what you do now? Well, I, you know, a long strange trip it's been, I think it's the lyric, right? Um, so, you know, I mean, the, the Marine Corps was a brief stint. I did one term, I, it was, uh, I, I learned a lot. It was a great, it was a great start. And then I got out of the Marine Corps and did a bunch of stuff like the oil fields and a rock plant, making little rocks out of big rocks like Fred Flintstone. And then I was climbing telephone poles and building cable TV. and. Uh, at about 24, you know, 24, my brother was killed in the car accident and I realized I didn't, you know, live forever and I probably ought to, and he was pre-med and he had worked so hard. And so I ditched all that, went back to college and, uh, was in a hurry because I'm 25 now and I'm in a hurry <laughs> and, and I wanted to go to law school. And so I ripped through community college and did speech and debate and did student government. And I did it in a year and a half. And then I transferred to university in Sacramento, which is a capital city with a nation state with you know very large economy, very big capital, um, majored in government. The first semester I landed an internship and I was working in the capital as a clerk and from clerk to consultant to policy advisor as a committee consultant to the health committee. Then I left there and went, became a lobbyist for the medical association. And then I opened my own firm and represented clients and um, and the public policy was fun, the strategy and, you know, the policy, and, but the politics is dirty and ugly and the, the stress. And I, 
you know, you could, I work super hard to make a really good argument and you could show up with the best argument in the room and still lose because somebody else had money. So anyway, all of that, uh, you know, added up to spell disease for me. And 2011, I was diagnosed with uh, papillary carcinoma, cancer. And um, that set up a journey. You know, initially I just wanted to get back to normal, but I, I came to realize that that, that that normal was what made me sick. You know, the unhealthy lifestyle, drinking too much, eating unhealthily and stress, and you know, and that's what made me sick. And so the second, when it came back in the scan, the second round of radiation, my marriage didn't thrive that whole thing because it's, you know, there's so much other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And that comes along with it. So I turned inward and I began to read, you know, Wayne Dyer, Carolyn Meese, Deepak Chopra. And um, I had a friend who had gotten out of politics and she opened a yoga studio and she took me through therapeutic yoga for cancer, taught me how to meditate and how to, how to harness my powerful mind that, you know, unchained was awful, monkey mind, you know, uh, the thoughts, the thought processes uncontrolled and unchecked. The thing that made me a great analyst, you know, took me down the rabbit hole of all the things that could go wrong. And so I learned to meditate um, and uh, I did Pilates to get my strength back and moved from Sacramento to LA. I took a job initially as an executive director of a trade association, which was, you know, akin to the things I had been doing and that didn't really work. And so I, I was at a crossroads and I looked into coaching and there was this coaching program where these two psychologists said, you know, you could be a fabulous coach if you add hypnosis, it helps people. And, you know, people think you're doing something for them instead of, right, that they have to do the work. And so I was intrigued by that. And it turns out that in Los Angeles, there is a nationally accredited school college of hypnotherapy. And so uh, it also turns out that I had a mutual friend who had gone there. So we had dinner and I talked to her about it. And uh, I didn't look back. I, I just saw this as my avenue, the power of the subconscious mind. I'd been studying with you know, Joseph Murphy and all of the others that I enlisted um, in terms of the teachers who began to appear. I went to a Hay House conference. I saw Wayne Dyer speak. I saw Carolyn Meese, uh, Brian Weiss, Dr. Brian Weiss, uh, Joe Dispenza, Dr. Joe Dispenza. And I, I just jumped in with both feet and I, I didn't look back. And it's taken some time, you know, Gladwell says you got to do the 10,000 hours for mastery and I, and I've eclipsed that and I, and, uh, but I feel like I've been led to my soul's purpose. So just like, just like my brother's untimely death and my cancer, I see them both as what I refer to as an unwrapped gift. And as odd as it seems, and when you're in gratitude, magic happens. And so the first led to a 25 year career, which was, it was exciting. It, you know, but it did, you know, and eventually it made me sick. And, and I, it led me to my next unwrapped gift, which was the cancer, which awakened me to a whole new program. And I, I found my life's purpose. I don't feel like I work. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I found purpose. And when people leave my office better than, 
when they arrived, it's very fulfilling. So Norman, it is fascinating to me that you went from a job, well, you went from the military, which was very, this is how we do things. You went to, you were a lobbyist, you were a policy advisor. You didn't really step probably outside of your box much because this is what you did and this is how you did it every time. You are now talking on a whole different level uh, that you really took your life. So I find it very interesting how you went from pretty much, this is how we do things to opening your mind to meditation and such, because if a person hasn't meditated, like actually meditated or listened to a Joe Dispenza or anything like that, I don't think that uh, you understand what a big difference that is in life. So that is really cool. I was really good. So in high school, I was in the Future Farmers of America and I was the president of the parliamentary procedure team. I knew I was very good at quick study, the rules. I led a meeting. I knew Robert's rules of order. When I became a clerk in the legislature, I learned it very quickly. And then I became the rules guy. And it was all about the rules. When I was a Marine, I was a really good, you know, my hair was cut, my boots were polished, my brass would shine. And I told F-18 jets where to drop their bombs. Very good, very well. Like it with a map and a compass and, uh, and some binoculars and a grease pencil uh, and a laminated, you know, laminated map. I was very good at mastering a rule of very defined uh, environment. And this is very ill-defined. Um, so the first thing I had to accept and embrace was there's magic and surrender. It's a very masculine uh, trait to want to control and be goal-oriented. It's a very feminine trait to embrace the process. The goal, having goals is great, mm -hmm. but it's not the end all to be all. I, I, what I've done is I've embraced my feminine energy and I've balanced. I'm still very masculine, but I've, I've, I've upped my feminine game. So I listen more than I talk. Hmm. So is that why you have the yin yang symbol on your website? Yeah. Um, my girlfriend's an acupuncturist. She's a doctor of Chinese, uh, traditional Chinese medicine. I've, we studied Taoism and Buddhism together. Um, and, you know, I've, I've trekked in the Himalayas. I've been to Kathmandu. And uh, the, it's, you know, it's, it's a path for living. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've embraced the Taoist concept of Wu Wei. It's not, it's, it's not, act, it's not don't act. It's don't act until it's right. Mm -hmm. And so in the Western world, we want to just rush in, you know, do and take charge. And, and oftentimes we do more harm than good mm -hmm. because our rush to be productive you know, or tackle a problem often creates more problems. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a very different way of life. Mm -hmm. uh, quiet stillness, quiet stillness, you know, again, I was, I was raised on a ranch, you, you're up early, you work hard all day, hard work. You know, you don't take time to be quiet and still. <laughs> mm -hmm. hey, there's no billable hours for quiet stillness, mm -hmm. you know, right? So, so it's against the nature of you know, go, 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 productive mentality of Western society. 
so what do you say to someone? I just had this conversation <clears throat> and I didn't have this on my list of questions to ask, but now that we're talking about this, what about people who seem, it's me, I'm people, people who seem to almost be afraid of the quiet because I have three kids, I have my own business, I also have a direct marketing, uh, direct sales business, I'm married, my schedule is always here, there, everywhere, and quiet really kind of stresses me out. So how do you tell someone or encourage them to be quiet? The Dalai Lama said, I meditate for 20 minutes every day. If I'm stressed, I meditate for an hour. So let that sink in for a second. In the quiet stillness, you push away all of the stress. It's, it's about disciplining the mind. Mm -hmm. Just like self-talk. Oh, it won't work. Oh, I suck at this. Okay, you're going to suck at this. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got this. Okay, you got this. I mean, back to Wu Wei, back to the Taoist principle of non-action. Don't act until it's right to act. Mm -hmm. There's a little you know, Chinese proverb, the, the Chinese farmer, you know, is horse memory. And his friend's like, oh, he said, maybe. The next day, the horse came back with four following him. Like, oh, he said, maybe. The next day, his son went out to break one of the horses, gets bucked off and breaks his leg. Like, oh, he said, maybe. The next day, the army comes in to conscript soldiers. Can't take the son because he's got a broken leg. Hey, maybe. So you see, you can ride the roller coaster. Or you can flatten it out in moments of quiet stillness. And it's in mastering that quiet stillness where you sharpen your mind, where you become disciplined, not to where you're gonna go march around the block. It's your mind is your master or your slave. You decide. Mm -hmm. Do you wanna be the best mom and the best business owner and the best wife? Then if you flail and don't do any of them well, because you're trying to do all of them at once, you see, the, you're better served when you can discipline your mind through meditation to reach a higher level of mastery for each of those hats that you wear. Mm -hmm. But until, until, you, until you can, you, because you're unsettled, right? You're unsettled as you rush from one task to another. Multitasking means you do multiple things poorly. <laughs> and, but you have to, because that's your life. And I'm not saying that it's not possible. I'm just telling you that the discipline that comes from mastering your mind, because here's, here's an answer. Um, Dr. Victor Frankl said, there's a space between stimulus and response, between action and reaction. And in that space lies your power because you get to decide what kind of human being you wanna show up as. If you react immediately with diarrhea of the mouth, you're gonna show up with automatic thinking, which is, tends to personalize, minimize, maximize, uh, all or nothing, mind reading. You know, but there's these automatic thinking roles that we step right into. But if we seize that space and think, I'm gonna show up with love in my heart instead of fear. Your reaction is gonna be very different 
to your children, to your husband, to your business, to your friends, to mm -hmm. your son, your show. <laughs> but you see what I mean? So see, that's right out of, now I'm marrying Dr. Victor, Frank, Victor Frankel with Course in Miracles. Love is your birthright. It resides in your heart space. Its opposite is fear. Mm -hmm. In any moment, you can choose to be, come from a place of love. If you're indecisive, it's going to be fear. Fear gives rise to all negative emotions. Love gives rise to all positive emotions. Love is love energy is God energy. Mm -hmm. We all have it right here. The divine lives right here in our heart space. And in any moment, we can show up as a loving human being. Mm. Or we can give in to fear. Well, first of all, I... I am the queen of multitasking. So it's almost like I need to take off my crown now. <laughs> I know I hedged and said that you, you can and you must because that's your life. You must. But your multitasking will be more effective when you master your mind. Okay. And, and secondly, I, I kind of, I feel like I'm actually in a therapy session right now. So I feel like I'm gonna have to pay you after this, but... <laughs> So here's my next question then. When a person stills their mind, actually I have two questions on this. So the first one, let's start with this. The first one being some people will say that meditating is really speaking um, to God. You know, you are supposed to be able to communicate with God. You're not supposed to have to go through a man to communicate. You should be able to talk with the divine. Okay. That's what I, that's what these people say. Now, these people over here say meditating is opening your mind, not uh, to negative, you know, so you're, you're also inviting the darkness in. What are your thoughts on that? Okay, whoa, um, the shadow exists in all of us, and you better be able to contend with the shadow, or you're going to suffer, uh, but we'll get back to that. Um, prayer is when you talk to God, meditation is when you listen. Whoa. Whoa. Quiet stillness is when the divine speaks to you. That's right. So Carolyn you know, talks about in the anatomy of the spirit and, and uh, soul contracts that, um, that, you know, Christ came to be, so, you know, in the old days, you know, you had to go through the priest, you had to go through the rabbi, no one got to talk to God. And then, you know, then through the son, we all, we all have the ability to speak to God and that's in prayer and we should be prayerful. No matter what your denomination or what your belief system, you should be prayerful. Mm -hmm. But that's when it goes up. Meditation is when you get downloads. I get, I get amazing downloads. I get amazing downloads. And it's not me. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, so prayer is when we talk to God. Meditation is when we listen. Now, the emptiness, emptiness is everything. Don't you see? So the second camp that said you're opening to negative, they don't, they misunderstand. They're, that perspective demonstrates an inability to hold paradox. You see, because in nothing is everything. All things exist in emptiness. My dad used to say, white is the absence of color, black is the presence of all color. I'm like, I used to scratch my head when I was sick and say, what does that mean, dad? But it was, it's now that I understand Eastern thought, I get it. That's the yin and the yang. Yin and the yang. It's in emptiness, there is fullness. 
-hmm. And until you can grasp that and feel it, you're gonna, you're gonna see scary darkness with boogeymen and big hairy <laughs> monsters. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. right. The shadow, now back to Jungian, the shadow exists in all of us. We must do shadow work. We have to, we have to acknowledge that naughty little girl that exists inside of you and that naughty little boy that exists inside of me. We have, we have thoughts. We, we, you know, it exists. Mm -hmm. We're human. They're like, oh, there he is. I knew you'd show up sooner or later. Mm -hmm. Back in your room. Just <laughs> the you know what I mean? It's just, you have to acknowledge your shadow. Mm -hmm. you have to you got to do shadow work it's really it's super important we all have it and until you acknowledge your own shadow you are delusional mm -hmm. and you will you will come up with rationalizations um i'm very comfortable in being a christian person and I had a conversation last week with someone. It's very funny that we, when I scheduled this with you, it was a long time ago. It was in April that we scheduled this. So it's very interesting that the timing of this, of this conversation that you and I are having, but I don't, I don't know if I believe in coincidence. Anyway, um, <laughs> I was having a conversation with someone who was talking about energy work. I've had Reiki energy work done and I like it. And then I do like yoga because I'm a chiropractor by day. And so I think, you know, movement and balance and all that stuff is good. So I was informed last week that energy work like Reiki, yoga, stuff like that is not part of the Catholic faith. I'm not Catholic, um, but I was told that it is frowned upon. And I have really marinated on that because I, and I even said, really? So when I'm doing yoga, and I'm stretching and I'm seriously thinking about my body. I'm not thinking about a, another God or anything like that. I don't even put a religion to yoga, to be honest with you. I just do it for myself. Um, I said, that is technically like against religion. And I was told, yes. And I think there's a fine line with this because if we in our mind are worshiping um, something, I think it has one meaning, but if we are simply doing it for the betterment of ourselves, isn't that completely different? Or am I just trying to skew it to what makes me feel better? The, anyone who uh, professes to describe to you God doesn't know God. God exceeds our ability to understand. Religion has traditionally been a way to control humans. A loving God doesn't punish. The Old Testament is, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for death. You know, when I read the Bible, I'm only interested in red letters. What, G what did Jesus say? Jesus epitomized love. He washed the feet of thieves. That's a whore touched him in the marketplace. He said, who touched me? He knew her heart. So am I guilty of picking and choosing? Perhaps. But my concept of the divine and God and God energy and Jesus and equals love 
I don't, I cannot conceive of a spiteful God. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I get at this all the time too. I have Christians who don't want to do hypnotherapy. I'm like, where do you think it came from? If God's the creator, what, where did Rick, where did energy come from? Where did, where did it come from? Mm -hmm. I, you know, I saw, I saw a rant on yoga and how it's, you know, it's tied to, you know, polytheistic, you know, origins. And it's, you know, look, if it's a way to, to exercise and make better your temple where God resides, then call it something else if it offends you. Mm -hmm. There are so many people running around looking for reasons to be offended and many of them are religious. So I don't think they're supposed to judge. I think that's God's role. Mm -hmm. So if someone is judging a technique that you use to make yourself a better human and perhaps a better Christian, then I, they should say a couple, our fathers and a few Hail Marys. I, you know what I mean? They, I have, a, you know, the whole genuflection, the whole, the Catholic, there's, you know, they need to, they need to rethink some things. I, I, I don't judge. I mean, I just think it's not for me. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would open anyone's loving heart to a different perspective. Mm -hmm. If you indeed have a loving heart, if you believe in the tenets of Jesus Christ, if you believe in a loving God, then that, that's not consistent. It's not consistent to judge me because I'm able to harness what God, we're all, if it's God's creation, then energy is, like if, if you believe in the second law of thermonuclear dynamics, that the energy is only transferred, it's not created or destroyed, it's only transferred. Is that a, is that a natural law? Is that a God-given law? <laughs> then it's energy transfer and it's within God's realm. Mm -hmm. if, 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 you know, God created us and we're capable of trance and trance helps us better ourselves, why is it not a godly thing that we're doing? I, so um, it's good to think. I'm glad you marinated in it. But I would soften your heart in terms of feeling any guilt, shame, blame, or questioning the righteousness of making your body better. Mm -hmm. I had actually, my, when my husband had asked me um, about meditating and such, I told him, I said, I honestly haven't felt closer to like God and Jesus since I started doing that. And, and I do feel that in my heart. And I do think it's fair. Obviously, um, Norman and I definitely went down a little different path and we got a little serious. And I think it's very obvious speaking with you and um, anyone who's listened to my show before, we, we respect whatever religion you are. So whatever religion you are, we totally respect that. Basically, we're just saying, we're asking you to respect other people for what they do as well. Is that Absolutely. fair? Yeah, absolutely. I, I make no judgments on anyone. No. I, you know, listen, I study world religions. I was born with a Jewish name. I converted to Islam for a girl. <laughs> yeah. And wow. I, I accepted Christ. I, you know, I, I, and now I'm, you know, my girlfriend is, is Chinese and she's Taoist, but Taoism, Taoism is, is God. Tao, if you, the, the Tao that can be known is not the true Tao. Just like God, the God that can, you think you know God? That's not really God. 
the God that could be known is not a true God. You see, and it's what we are given is humans attempt to describe and mostly manipulate. Very interesting. So when let's get back to hypnosis because okay. I do I do I do have a question, a couple of questions. Uh, by the way, by the way, so just before we leave this, because here's an interesting thing: you need three things for hypnotic modality: authority, a doctrine or a paradigm, and you got to feel something. All right. So this is a good segue. Uh, how about this: a stethoscope and lab coat, medical books and medical school. Do you feel something when you go to the doctor? Don't get your blood pressure taken there. It's not a good place, right? So. Medicine is a hypnotic modality. Black coat, robe, and the collar, the good book, pick any one. The Torah, the Torah, the Quran, the Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, pick a book. And do you feel something when you're in temple or church or mosque? So it's a hypnotic modality. Religion is hypnosis. Anyway, so how's that for a segue? That is a good segue. So because when we were talking about you work for the medical association and now you're in hypnotherapy that that's like a 180 <laughs> so do you find any of the people that you used to work with have they tried this or do they i get this a lot because i'm a chiropractor so i get a lot of oh she does voodoo or you know people don't believe in what i do and and what you know to each their own but do you find those hurdles especially with your past Oh yeah, I you know, coming out, coming out as a new hypnotherapist to my three thousand LinkedIn <laughs> connections that all knew me from you know politics was it was scary. I had to just go for it. Yeah. And there's a lot of people. Oh, what's Norm up to now? <laughs> oh brother, what's no? Oh boy, who cares? You know, I don't care. Uh, you know. I, I have a very different view of allopathic medicine today than I did. I, I wouldn't let them take my thyroid now. What I know now, I'm just, you know, live and learn. Right. Uh, well, and you can't do better unless you know better. And, and, and the issue with that too is that you really don't have any other options. They don't give you other options at that time. No, they tell you what the high percentage therapies are mm -hmm. based on the evidence-based studies and you know a diseased thyroid is to be removed otherwise it'll continue to produce disease but you know what no one asked me what that caused the disease no one what you know what was going on in your life you see this, this is what i do with my clients what was when did it start when did you first notice mm -hmm. this when did the fibromyalgia begin oh what was going on in your life then oh oh no one ever asked you that oh you had nine years of uh uh, opioids because they had a collection of your symptoms and uh, put you into this bucket and said all we can do is control the pain and you kicked the nine years of opioids and then you finding you came out of desperation to me as a last resort and most people do and I asked you what was going on in your life when it started and I realized that you were going through a, a bitter divorce and that you what I know about you is you're very you know, former military very tough a woman in a man's world executive and you're strong physically, but an emotional marshmallow that you would never show anybody those emotions. And so you somatized that emotional pain into your body and it became fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And are you ready to let that go? Oh, if I could let it go, I'd have done it a long time ago. 
Are you ready to let it go? If you could, yes. And then it's gone. You see, you see? And so Western medicine, there's, there's, there's edges, there's the fringes, there's, there's psycho uh, neuroimmunology. That's mind, body, spirit, but mm -hmm. a lot of doctors go into it. There's a, UCLA has a program, psycho neuroimmunology, it's mind, body. They'll tell you about the placebo effect, even, even the nocebo effect. You know, the sugar pill works 30% of the time. 75% uh, of medical students ex exhibit the symptoms of the diseases that they're studying. That's the nocebo effect. You can make yourself better or make yourself sick with your mind. Psychosomatic. Mm -hmm. The Body Keeps the Score, great book. You haven't read it. The Body Keeps the Score. Who, who, who wrote that? Oh, I can't remember. It, it'll come up. The Body Keeps the Score, if you okay. Google so speaking of, um, you've written two books? Yes. Okay. So what, what is someone going to find in your books? So I wanted to tell the world about what I found with hypnosis, but first I had to tell the cancer story. And I wanted to call the first book, The Unwrapped Gift. But my publisher said, Norm, cancer probably was a gift for you, but how long did it take you to figure that out? It took, some, it took a few years for me to realize mm -hmm. what a gift it was. So it became take charge of your cancer. And it's the seven proven steps to healing and recovery. I didn't make them up, but the research I did uh, after. So these are the things that I stumbled upon the hard way. I found my way into radically changing my diet, deepening my spirituality, uh, learning to meditate, releasing my repressed emotions, communing with my subconscious mind, having a reason to live. Taking charge of my own health care, not relying on someone with alphabet soup behind their name who doesn't go home with you when the questions really arise at 10 p.m. when the walls start moving in and you wonder, ah, right? You got 15 minutes with them next Tuesday or her, right? So, um, turns out great research done by Kathy Turner, who's a, who's a psychologist who worked with in oncology and she studied a lot of folks who, and they asked, she asked, people who would survive the less than five, less than 25% uh, uh, prognosis for survival, who did survive, she said, what did you do? And she wrote radical remission. And it turns out that seven things that I did were among the things that those folks did or mind over medicine by um, Dr. Lisa Rankin, another MD turned open-minded, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, so the first book, Take Charge of Your Kid, it's kind of aimed at men um, who don't go to the doctor, you know, women have their annual feminine stuff and they, they tend to go to the doctor, you know, be more oriented toward, you know, healthcare than men are like, you know, rub some dirt on it. Right. And, um, and so men tend to show up with stage four because they've not addressed it until it's too late. Mm -hmm. And then when they do, they feel helpless because getting a second opinion is not a manly thing. Okay. But if you have seven things that you can do tomorrow, today, immediately, these are seven things you can do right away. Now it puts you, makes you involved in your own recovery and healing. Is it, is it the end all to be all? No, I'm not saying don't see your doctor. Mm -hmm. I'm saying you have choices to make, ask questions, do research, take charge of your, so that was the first book. 
and you know, I've, I've written all my life speeches, analyses, you know, and I it just, I just tried three years to get that book written. And it just, I had to get a coach. I went through the author incubator. It was a very valuable experience, which, you know, once you go through it, once you learn it now that boom, I banged out the second book, which is mastermind master life, which is the one I wanted to write about hypnosis and hypnotherapy and mastermind master life is about what is hypnosis? What's the history? What does science say? How can you apply it in your life? You know, the science is getting much better. It used to be anecdotal. Well, it has more to do with the you know, mesmerizing properties of the hypnotist than the actual efficacy of the procedure. Well, now we know it's different because now we have functional MRIs and other measurement devices and powerful technology to understand and describe in an evidence-based fashion what's going on. So I got a couple uh, evidence-based definitions if you want to. Uh, hypnosis or trance is an animated, altered, integrated state of focused consciousness, i.e. controlled imagination. It's an attentive, receptive state of concentration that can be activated readily and measured. It requires some degree of dissociation to enter and become involved in imagined activity, enough concentration for an individual to maintain a certain level of absorption and some degree of suggestibility to take in new premises. That's from the American Journal of Clinical Hypnosis. Uh, one more, hypnosis is a state of inner absorption, concentration and focused attention. It's like using a magnifying glass to focus the rays of the sun and make them more powerful. Similarly, when our minds are concentrated and focused, we're able to use them more powerfully. That's from the American Psychology Association. So even the evidence-based folks recognize it as a legitimate modality. Um, Dr. David Spiegel in, at Stanford has been doing a bunch of this forward-looking research with measurement and whatnot. And he says it's um, um, the patient uh, uh, takes ownership of their own healing and it, uh, the healing can be fully realized when the patients become active participants in the development of their therapeutic plan. My whole premise in take charge of your cancer. As an active participant, people feel in control of their own health and more likely to make sustained lifestyle changes, which most of the seven things are lifestyle changes. So in the research, he demonstrated a drop in activity in the dorsal anterior cingulate, part of the salience network of the brain, a context decoder, or in layperson's terms, a part of the brain that alerts you to what you should pay attention to and what you can ignore. This part of the brain, which fires up when there's something to worry about, actually calms down during hypnosis. And a second change was observed in the dorsolateral front, uh, prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain where you plan things and carry out routines, and the insula, a part of the brain that helps regulate body functions. And these two parts of the brain began syncing up in their connectivity like altering blood pressure and heart rate. And this suggests that during hypnosis, the brain intensifies its connection to the body. We can see this uh, evidence of this when the hypnotized individual experiences a slower heart rate and rhythmic breathing with a likely corresponding decrease in blood pressure. So no longer is it the realm of anecdote. We know what's going on. We know that there are physiological changes. We know that these physiological changes set you up for taking in suggestion and altering your subconscious programming. Did you have hypnotherapy during your treatment? 
So this is just an added yeah. bonus. Okay. Yeah, it all came in the journey afterwards. It, I was led, I was divinely led here to my soul's purpose. You know, you can read Eckhart Tolle, Awakening to Your Essential Purpose a hundred times and still not find it. I, I read the book and, did, you know, it, it wasn't, it was the journey that led me to it. Mm -hmm. Now, what are some of the things that you help people overcome? Oh my gosh. Uh, I've helped people stop stuttering. I've helped people overcome fibromyalgia. Uh, claustrophobia, fear of flying. Um, Pre-surgery, I, I had a client who uh, had colitis, severe colitis, and they had detached their intestine and they had a colostomy bag for six months while it healed. And then they were gonna go reattach. And it was nip and tuck whether they could do it laparoscopically. And so we did pre-surgery and I just, uh, helped this client really visualize his body fully cooperating. It was medical team, trusting the medical team and their experience and that they've done so much, you know, and visualizing his body physically assisting and healing and there'd be less pain. He had, nope, he had, he didn't need any pain pills afterwards. And we did post-surgery. Like it was just, it's so amazing what, it, what is available. Um, uh, I had a guy broke his leg and wanted to heal faster. <laughs> and, you know, I've had, I've helped stroke victims reconnect their hemispheres. And, um, I mean, the list goes on, the, you know, I, I want to give you an example. One of the stutterers, uh, she, 17 year old girl stuttered most of her life. I asked her, are you ready? Because I had a 77-year-old man who stuttered and he stopped for three months after sessions and then went back to it because it, it was the only thing he knew, right? He, would, he felt weird not doing it anymore after 77 years. So I asked her, are you ready? So again, what was going on in your life? And what's going on? So we, do, we, we come at this thing and then in the, like the second session, she's telling me that her, her brother had come home from Stanford and he, like she and her mom got in a fight with him. I'm like, wait, tell me about your brother. Oh, he's a golden boy. High, high level sports, you know, Golden Boy, Stanford, you know. I said, did he, did he um, suck the oxygen out of every room he ever walked in? And, and in other words, was he the focus of attention always? Yeah. I'm like, okay. And now he's off to Stanford and he's no longer there and you're ready to stop stuttering? Okay. So the stuttering was your your way, your subconscious way to get attention because your brother had all the attention. Like as soon as I put it in that context, gone. Wrong. Um, I, you know, I, uh, a star goes off to UC Santa Barbara and falls apart. Separation anxiety, calling your mom crying every day, you know, I just helped her, you know, you know what I mean? I helped her orient herself. She had, um, you know, a roommate who came in drunk and vomited and she's like, uh, you know, it was just, there were, you just understanding the details, the lay of the land. So the thing that made me a really good analyst and very good counseling and interviewing training at the college that I went to, like, because there are many hypnotists and hypnotherapists who, 
they're really good at people putting people in hypnosis. Okay. That's, that's the easy part. But if you don't go for cause, if you merely treat symptomatically, you're going to be playing whack-a-mole. Mm-hmm. It's going to come up over here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Because so the thing to do is to go back to when it started. I had a guy, oh, this is a complicated one. He, he needed to give blood. He's in his seventies. He's still active with his wife, but with the aid of the blue pill, but because of his blood pressure, but so they needed, he couldn't take the blood thinner and the, so if he gave, they said, if you can give blood, that'll thin it enough so that you can take the pill and have consortium. <laughs> so he needed to give blood, but he's, he, he panicked and he's had, he's given blood before for medical purposes, but th- there was something. And so, if, you know, there was a lot riding, there was a lot of pressure on me for this one. <laughs> I bet. So I'm like, okay. So I regressed him back. I regressed him to a time when he was probably a toddler in the car with his mom and his uncle died on the operating table. And there was something about giving blood and he heard his mom say, don't ever give blood. Really? And we, we found that in regression and he, and as soon as knowing what it was, allowed him to get past it. And go, I got an email from him, like he is, he's happy. Let's just put it that way. So how, how old does a person have to be to work with you? Like, do you work with kids or no? Oh yeah. Oh, I've had ARFID, you know, the uh, eating disorders. I I have kids, um, you know, kids with kids on the spectrum are very sensitive. So they have eating challenges and stuff. So I've I've worked with, with kids on the spectrum. I've, I've worked with eating disorders, um, I've helped as young as six deal with divorce and uh, very difficult things. And I, you know, I, it's, I'd like to get the kids because, because, you know, I get the adults who women who can't lose that last bit of weight and it's has nothing to do with their eating and it has everything to do with the layer of emotional protection from the outside world. And as we peel back the, layers of the onion you know they were abused by family members and so you know helping the kids early i teach a lot about understanding our own mind not just kids but adults like you said you felt like you had a therapy session much of what i started with is i give every client love in your heart space your power is Mm -hmm. in that space between action and reaction uh so yeah i you know it's um it's, I have to, sm- I have to do self-care. I have to mm-hmm. smudge and I have crystals because I see and hear a lot. Life yeah, is a- and I'm sure you help a lot of people with trauma as well. So right. what are you saying to people who have never tried hypnosis, but maybe are on the fence? What, what would you say to them? Everyone comes to me as a last resort and I've tried everything else. Have an open mind and try this early in the process. It's, like it's, it's, a, it's a difficult position f- to describe because on one hand, if I call it a panacea, people, you know, they're, they're skeptical. Uh, you know, it's, people reject things that are, seem too simple, right? So what I would say is it's painless. 
there's, there's no downside. You have, it's, it's cash pay because insurance doesn't cover it, but aren't you worth it? And so if you could do this instead of take a pill, some people just want to take pills. You know, they just, you know, I've helped people get off pills. Uh, but I would say, if you're curious, try it. Invest in yourself. The power of the subconscious. Books have been written. I mean, you know what I mean? Like there's, it's indisputable. But just remember Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is always the best. You don't need some complex, complicated. If your arm is broken, see a doctor and let them set it. If you need, you know, like there's some things you have to see a doctor for, but there's an emotional underpinning to almost everything. And that emotional underpinning can be, can be found, isolated and overcome. That's great. Wonderful. Well, Norman, thank you so much. You were a wealth of information through that little roller coaster of a discussion. I appreciate the opportunity. As you can tell, I'm passionate about what I do. I, I'm, when you find your soul's purpose, you want to tell the world. So there's more books coming. I'm going to. St I want to start speaking on on stage. And you know, I just, you know, it's at a, at, a, at a time in our in in human history that things are exceedingly complicated and complex, and we're bombarded with information. And on every side of everything, I can I can produce a study on either side of any question some things can be dealt with in a simple, loving fashion. Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback, so ratings and reviews are appreciated.